Hello everybody, this is Stephen Gray, of course, I think, if you're looking at the sign behind me there. Uh, and this is the Stephen Gray Vision YouTube channel. And the purpose of these is to share inspiration and information on the needed consciousness transformation on this planet with a focus on psychedelics because they are they have been influencing humanity for quite some time perhaps even millennia but they are also poised to take i think a much greater and a more important role in the times to come as conditions tend to get intensified i think we could safely say uh, and for that reason we have uh, I have been interviewing uh, what are, for the most part, leading figures in this kind of work, uh, psychedelics and consciousness transformation. And one of those uh, people who definitely uh, falls easily into that category uh, is Jeremy Narby. Um, and he is my guest today, so I'm really happy to have Jeremy with me. Just going to give a quick bio of Jeremy, and then we'll get right into some questions. He's an anthropologist with a PhD from Stanford University. Uh, Jeremy's the author of several books, including The Iconic, uh, the Cosmic Serpent, DNA and the Origins of Knowledge. And along with several other books, as I say, his new book with Rafael Chanchari Pizzuri, which is titled Plant Teachers, Ayahuasca, Tobacco and the Pursuit of Knowledge. Uh, Rafael is an elder of the Shawi people and a traditional healer living in Iquitos, Peru. So uh, this new book will really form the basis of our conversation today, or interview, actually, more accurately speaking. Uh, and currently, Jer Jeremy works as Amazonian Projects Director for Nouvelle Planète. And again, for us uh, English-only speakers, uh, that word translates, or those two words translate as New Planet. It's a nonprofit organization that promotes the economic and cultural empowerment of indigenous people. Uh, peoples. Uh, Jeremy lives in Switzerland, and that's where he's joining me uh, on Zoom today while I'm here in Vancouver, British Columbia. And just before I uh, bring Jeremy on, or um, he's there, of course, uh, visually, but uh, also, pardon me, just want to mention that these interviews are also available on anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm, and it has connections to uh, now the semi-reviled Spotify and some other channels. Uh, excuse me. Um, yes, so uh, where was I? Anyway, that's fine. Um, we will carry on from here, and I will bring... Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Um, I just want a uh, quick uh, honoring shout-out to the recently deceased uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, the uh, Vietnamese uh, Buddhist monk who was one of the guiding lights on this planet during his life. A remarkable figure, and if you don't know of him, you might want to look into his work a little bit. So with that said, uh, welcome, uh, Jeremy. I was going to say again, but people don't know that. <laughs> Thanks, Stephen. So let's just get right into it. Um, the book, which I have in my hand here, is uh, Plant Teachers, uh, colon, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, uh, ayahuasca, comma, tobacco, and the pursuit of knowledge uh, with uh, um, Rafael Chanchari Pizzuri. And uh, I've read it. Uh, uh, I loved it. Really, honestly, I'm not just saying that because of the situation we're in here. Um, I thought it was uh, a lot of excellent information. And, you know, I, I've been around these medicine fields for decades uh, and, uh, you know, probably taken ayahuasca 
more than three dozen times and been in the Native American church where tobacco is used as a prayer medicine and down in South America with the mapacho cigarettes and so on. And there were still lots in this book that I did not know. And so for the um, what you might call uh, less tutored, so to speak, layperson, uh, I think it will be even more remarkable. And I would hope move the conversation forward. So um, uh, you've divided the book into essentially two parts with tobacco being the first half more or less and ayahuasca the second half with a bit of uh, overlap on certain issues that apply to both of course um, but since uh, tobacco came first I'd like to get into that with you or I'd like you to get into it um, <clears throat> and I want to start with uh, a, a quote that you put into the book from the Ashaninka people um, who say that uh, tobacco is the number one plant teacher. I find that quite a stunning statement, actually. Not completely surprising to me, as I mentioned, but it will be, I think, to many so-called you know Westerners that would be watching or listening uh, to a um, interview, an interview like this. So, can you explain why uh, those people might say that about tobacco? Yeah, certainly. Um, you find uh, across the Amazon, I mean, there are 400 different indigenous cultures across the Amazon basin. It's a, it's a huge uh, place, and there's a lot of diversity. But uh, uh, the overwhelming majority of Amazonian people work with tobacco. And when I say work, I, I mean shamanic work. Um, they have strong uh, shamanic traditions. Anthropologists have documented this. And uh, really, it's, it's the number one medicinal plant, according to indigenous Amazonian people. Um, it's a, they use it as a disinfectant. Uh, as the tobacco leaves can be applied directly to wounds, and they help uh, wounds heal. Uh, tobacco smoke is is blown on wounds, on 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 snake bites, on any kind of venomous bite. Uh, it uh, it's a painkiller, and it's also a diagnostic tool. Which is that uh, when you go and see the shaman or the healer, many of these uh, uh, specialists work with tobacco. Uh, the people I lived with in the Peruvian Amazon, the um, Ashaninka people, their word for shaman is sheri piari. Sheri means tobacco. And so when you have a, any kind of problem, an illness, or you've, you've lost your mojo hunting, or somebody's stolen your chickens and you want to figure out who it might be, any kind of problem like this, your child has a fever, you go and see the, the person who knows, the doctor, that's what the word doctor means in Latin, the one who knows more. In Ashaninka, it would be you go and see the tobacco doctor, Sherry Piari. Piari is a doctor, and Sherry is tobacco. And what the tobacco doctor will do is listen to your problem or look at it, depending on what it is, and, and then uh, take some tobacco, often smoking it, sometimes eating it as a paste. And in the stimulation that the tobacco gives to the, the healer, uh, a solution might come up. So it, it's a, a plant that is um, 
used uh, more than any other plant. And for example, in, in ayahuasca uh, traditions in the Western Amazon, um, all indigenous practitioners use tobacco as they are taking ayahuasca. They, they blow tobacco on the smoke on the ayahuasca before serving it. In their view, tobacco and ayahuasca are, are inseparable. Um, the Shipibo people, I mean, I could go on giving examples. I'll give this one in um, a representation of uh, that a Shipibo shaman gave an anthropologist of how Shipibo people see the world and the cosmos. You see uh, uh, the, the earth that's surrounded by a big serpent, and then you see the uh, celestial cosmic vault. And and then there there is a two arrows uh, crossing, uh, like the cardinal points, north, east, west, south, except what you have is anaconda, jaguar, tobacco, ayahuasca. Well, anaconda and jaguar are the two top predators that, uh, you know, these are animals that eat many different kinds of animals, but nobody eats them. They're at the top of the food chain. and they're considered to be the most powerful animals and shamans in that part of the world tend to identify with these animals. So anaconda and jaguar are uh, key players in their cosmology and tobacco and ayahuasca are as well. This is for the Shipibo people. I'm not saying that it's like this for all the different indigenous people in the Amazon, but um, it, it comes up uh, just regularly how central tobacco is in their understanding of the world, and also as a means to understand the world. And that's what these different plant teachers are. Plant teacher is a concept that comes from the Western Amazon, from the Peruvian Amazon. Scientists have studied it, and, and they've uh, uh, determined that there are 55 different plants considered to be plant teachers by people in the Peruvian Amazon. Not all of them are psychoactive, but many of them are. And uh, tobacco and ayahuasca are certainly at the top of the list in terms of uh, the, the plants that are most frequently used as teachers. Um, some of these plant teachers are, are frankly pretty difficult to, to work with. I'm thinking of the datura plants, for example, toei. Um, so uh, really uh, b being a toei specialist is, is something that's uh, fairly fairly difficult to keep your, your mind functioning properly in the long term. But um, tobacco is a plant that is used uh, daily for, for years by some of these uh, specialists. And so um, I, I'd also like to say that it, it's not my plant. In other words, I'm, I'm talking about this as an anthropologist who's spent the last 35 years of my life working with indigenous Amazonian people, occasionally studying them or certainly writing about their, their knowledge um, and in dialogue with them. Uh, but I myself am not a tobacco consumer. I've, I have uh, experience with tobacco and I actually mentioned it at the beginning of the book, but it's, uh, it's not a very deep experience. It's, it's not something that I've wanted to repeat regularly. And I guess that just to end this kind of long answer to your question, 
it's uh, important to understand that the kind of tobacco that Amazonian people are working with um, contains something like 20 times more nicotine than the blonde tobacco um, that uh, Euro-Americans cultivated in Virginia uh, and so on. Tobacco comes originally from Peru, from the Peruvian Amazon or the foothills of the Andes, Peru and Ecuador. That's where Nicotiana tabacum and Nicotiana rustica, which are the two main species of tobacco used to, well, across, be it uh, by Amazonian shamans, but also uh, by uh, uh, the, the tobacco industry. The tobacco industry uses Nicotiana tabacum, but it is a kind of tobacco that has been, um, let's say, um, selected for uh, low levels of nicotine. And then once it has been harvested, industrial cigarette producers blend in uh, 600 or so different uh, chemicals that when they're burned, turned into, turn into all kinds of uh, poisonous uh, byproducts. Um, so, uh, the the Western experience of tobacco, which has mainly been through industrial cigarettes, is is really something that, it, at least in chemical terms, is extremely different mm -hmm. from the strong, dark, uh, I would say pure uh, Amazonian tobacco that uh, indigenous people work with in in South America. Yeah. Um, Excellent. You know, you can't fire up a few sort of cigarettes and and say this. I'm working with a plant teacher. It has nothing to do with it. No. So um, a few moments ago, you mentioned that the um, nicotine content in South American tobacco is upwards of 20 times uh, as as much in in the plant as the industrial tobaccos. And um, uh, I'm tr I don't remember specifically. I'm I just want to ask you a question about this. Um, I don't remember specifically in which book I saw it. Uh, I have a vague memory. It might have been some people called the Warani, but that may not be right. It was about 20, 25 years ago when I read this. In any case, there's a photograph in this book of a guy, um, a native person from this particular tribe in South America, holding what looks like a giant cone-like thing full of tobacco. And uh, they, uh, as more or less, as I recall, uh, they he, what he was doing and what they do in that particular community is they um, they prepare extensively for a serious quote unquote psychedelic or you know visionary journey by like isolating or something for a week or two, meditating, maybe fasting, things like that, and then they have a few massive uh, tokes on these things and completely crossed the barrier, as it were. So um, I guess there could be a few questions with that, but you know, given the context of uh, this particular YouTube channel, uh, not like scientifically, literally as a psychedelic, because I think that would be acting on the 5-HT2A receptors, but as a principle, um, can you talk about the quote-unquote psychedelic or visionary kind of use of tobacco in South America? Yeah, sure. Um, it's actually, uh, I, I think, uh, pretty pretty interesting because um, if you're interested in psychedelics or um, 
hallucinogens, as they used to be called, um, LSD or, or psilocybin, and, and now, of course, uh, ayahuasca and DMT. People don't think that uh, tobacco has anything to do with, um, with that kind of category of um, uh, plant or substance. But this uh, powerful uh, South American uh, tobacco, um, I think, um, sh should is correctly understood as hallucinogenic. Uh, it, it can uh, induce uh, visions. Um, it can get you thinking some some pretty strange stuff and having some some odd perceptions of, of your own body where you seem to be transforming into an animal. And, and these kinds of reports come up from people who, who use the, this uh, strong tobacco. Um, it's fairly clear that nicotine works on uh, acetylcholine receptors. And so it's, it's more of a deliriant um, hallucinogenic experience than um, what would be called a true visionary psychedelic um, uh, experience. As you point out, the true psychedelics are defined, uh, maybe somewhat arbitrarily, as those that affect the 5-HT2A uh, receptors. So, um, uh, okay, uh, fair enough. If that's how we're going to define the word psychedelic, then t tobacco uh, is not included. Um, but uh, yes, um, uh, when you ask uh, Amazonian shamans, they're fairly clear. They're, they're taking huge doses of uh, nicotine. And, and this is not for beginners, by the way, because if you are what, what they call naive in terms of tobacco, if you've never had tobacco and nicotine, and suddenly you take a very large dose of uh, tobacco juice, say, it can kill you quite simply. Mm. Um, uh, I think it's pretty clear that most of the, uh, well, uh, Ayahuasca, um, as it's classically prepared, let's just say, um, it, it's it's difficult to drink enough ayahuasca, uh, which only contains the vine and let's say some uh, chacruna leaves. It's, the the, the uh, lethal dose is something like 20 times the effective dose. This would be like drinking two liters of ayahuasca. It's almost impossible to stomach that much ayahuasca without without vomiting it back. But if you mix uh, tobacco leaves into your uh, ayahuasca, depending how many you put in there, there, there can be massive amounts of nicotine in this um, tobacco-laced ayahuasca. And it, it, it has happened. And t tobacco can, it can easily kill people. Um, what happens when you take it often enough is that you develop more nicotinic receptors your the cells in your body are are better able to to handle it and um and this is how these shamans work it's a essentially you it's uh tobacco is a is a uh, nicotine is a poison i mean it's important to understand that in this case it's fairly clear why tobacco plants produce nicotine um it's an insecticide insects that come and eat tobacco leaves die because the nicotine poisons them. Actually, if you could extract all the nicotine contained in just two or three ordinary cigarettes, 
um, by uh, boiling them and, and, and purifying it into a pure drop, that would be enough nicotine to kill somebody simply by putting it on their tongue or on their skin. Um, the reason why that doesn't happen when you smoke those cigarettes is that most of the nicotine is destroyed in the combustion, fortunately. That's the, the only really positive aspect of uh, smoking tobacco is that it stops you from killing yourself with the, the nicotine that's there. It's, it's that powerful. So when you, uh, for example, boil tobacco leaves and make an extraction like that, and then you drink that tobacco extract, uh, you're taking very large doses of nicotine. And once again, it can be dangerous uh, uh, depending on uh, how accustomed your body is to it. Um, I think I kind of got lost there. I can't even remember okay. what the question was. Well, no, that's um, fine, because um, uh, I'd like to ask you this question. Uh, let me put it this way just for something different. Let's say you were writing a science fiction novel and you placed it uh, let's say 20 to 30 years in the future and in that novel it would be kind of your um, utopian novel so to speak uh, it would be uh, the uh, most effective most uh, you know applicable use and I'm asking this question because that's kind of the focus of this YouTube channel is how can we offer in inspiration and information that is applicable so um, in it, you know in in say 20 or 30 years once tobacco is understood properly, could you speculate as to how it might have taken its place in the wider cultures, how it might best be used? Hmm. Um, that's um, uh, an interesting question and for me pretty challenging because <laughs> I kind of make it my speciality not to speculate okay. <laughs> and, and not to look in the future and to, to try to focus on uh, understanding the present and, and naming it uh, properly. But for, for you, Stephen, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll make the effort. Um, and this is may also maybe just the, uh, an, uh, the habit of an anthropologist. But I mean, you know, the, the old joke is that, uh, uh, you know, the joke, uh, how many, um, how many uh, anthropologists does it take to uh, change a light bulb? And I think the answer is, uh, it depends on the context. Um, <laughs> No. So, yeah. so, um, so, okay, so maybe I could re rephrase that a little bit, Jeremy. Maybe I could just sure. say, like, do you feel that tobacco can be used uh, uh, more widely by non-Indigenous people in effective ways? And if so, how might that be? And what kind of attitudes and practices might be involved? Okay, well, thank you. Um, and uh, the, I was going to try to almost go in that direction and try to answer that. Um, the thing is that's pretty clear uh, just in the Amazon, b before extrapolating from the, the Amazon, what kind of uh, uh, comes out of uh, indigenous tobacco use is that there is a, a fundamental ambiguity. Uh, when you work with these powerful plants like tobacco and ayahuasca, um, where uh, they can be used. So yes, uh, you can set up an alliance with the plant. You you uh, prepare your body so that you can work with this plant on a regular basis. Um, the plant will give you information, points of view, and so on. But then this can be used um, to, to, uh, to heal people, but it can also be used 
to harm people. And and that will depend, and Raf, Raf, my co-author, Rafael Chanchari, talks about this. The uh, He talks about the mother of tobacco, let's say the personality of the tobacco plant. Um, the, uh, Rafael considers tobacco to be a, a powerful entity, and uh, an entity that if you're not well prepared, it really depends a lot on your intention, it can mislead you and and can lead you into causing harm to those around you. Why does tobacco do this? Well, uh, he gives a pretty ambiguous uh, answer on that count. And, and uh, But uh, still, the point is, um, it depends on who is working with uh, the plant and what their intention is. And this is also true in ayahuasca. So it's not as if it's just a substance, and then you give it to people, and then they become healers and do good things in the world. Um, you know, and and it, uh, unfortunately, I mean, wouldn't it be so wonderful? Everybody would become a healer and an ecologist and start caring for other species, and we'd, we'd clean up the planet in no time, and all, all we'd have to do is consume these uh, intelligent plant teachers, and, and all would be well. But just looking at, at what let's just say indigenous amazonian people uh, report about what they themselves have done uh, as they've used these plants over the years uh, indigenous amazonian people have been clear from from the start that um, th at least half of amazonian shamanism is is called sorcery hmm. it's the shadow side of of all this the brutal it tends, it, it tends to get omitted when when Western people go down to the Amazon and they find ayahuasca or what have you, or maybe it might, might even be tobacco, and then they come back, often they'll be talking about healing a lot, but they won't be talking about this the, the, the darker side or, or acknowledging it. Um, uh, so um, what might it be like in the future? My guess would be that it would be not all that different from what it has been in the past. In other words, we're dealing with power plants. It's it's about power, it's about knowledge, and, and this is double-edged, and it really depends on um, um, the people who use it. And that's the important thing, I think, that one of the messages to get across to people is that if, if you're gonna work with these powerful plants, first of all, you have to know them because you can get into to deep water. So um, it's, it's worth, uh, uh, before dabbling, it's worth looking into it uh, a little bit. And then it's also about working on yourself so that you can uh, uh, handle these plants. Uh, otherwise, they can mislead you quickly. Is that what you meant uh, in the book when you said that plants have two spirits? Well, that's, what, that's how Raphael put it. Mm. Um, and then we had a long discussion about the word spirit or the word soul and, and just how, uh, how an indigenous Amazonian person understands that differently from somebody who's been brought up in a Euro-American culture. Um, so, uh, but yes, uh, that is fundamentally the uh, indigenous Amazonian view of plants like tobacco and ayahuasca. They have two faces, uh, two sides to them um and uh you know we would like something to be clear and simple 
But when you're talking about uh, this kind of realm, um, in the Amazonian view, um, I mean, think of it as the, if you think of the representation of yin and yang, you have the, the, the white part that has a little bit of black in it and the black part that has a little bit of white in it, and, and they're wrapped around each other. And so this is the association of contraries that they can't be separated out, that um, it is um, good and evil, healing and harming, wrapped around, um, and there is no sort of pure white or pure uh, black. This is actually also uh, an Amazonian uh, concept, is that if you if you are a shaman, let's say, and you're working with these plants and, and you actually are managing to heal people, this will be a source of power for you. You will have accessed the power of these plants and used it to heal people. And so people around you will say, oh, this is wonderful. This, this fellow is on a white healing path. But actually, the more a shaman uh, manages to do that, the greater will be the temptation <laughs> to abuse the power. And so oh, what yeah. Amazonian people say is that the, the more successful the shaman, the more you actually have to keep an eye on that person. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Uh, and that there, there never is uh, a pure white healing shamanism who's all good and, and never does anything bad. Nicely put. And, and also, you know, I think that's a uni universally applied, you know, that there's a reason that uh, the old cliche has not faded away, that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And it, it applies to anyone who gains influence over other people. Uh, it's, it's a sneaky one. So that's, I'm glad you pointed that out, actually. And, and, so, and you know, the, uh, just about that is that yeah. Amazonian people, uh, because they acknowledge this fairly explicitly, they also propose um, a hygiene of power. That mm. is, if you have had power come through you, and so you, you, you have that power, um, so that it does not corrupt you, what you need to do is, is diet. Uh, diet is also an Amazonian concept. It doesn't mean go on a diet. It means restrict the foods you eat so that they're bland. Uh, you diet human company as well. So you go someplace where you're alone, and you sit in quietness and you eat bland food, you suffer a little bit and you, you become more humble and you come down from your ego inflating power thing. And that's how you can renew a kind of a healthy contact mm -hmm. with that realm without getting your head all bloated by your own uh, achievements. Yeah, nice. What's interesting is that in so in here in like the northern world or the western world, uh, the industrial world, we uh, we know that uh, power corrupts, and we know that politicians and people who get into positions of power have a hard time letting go. But we hardly ever hear about hygiene of power. I mean, uh, all everybody is always trying to get reelected. In fact. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, in the spiritual realm as well, um, uh, I, I have a background at, uh, in my past with uh, Tibetan Buddhism. And in that tradition, uh, they say it's really important for any guru to still keep uh, a strong connection to their mentors, their teachers, 
who can sort of slop you around if you get out of control. That's their notion, that's version, their version of the la dieta, I suppose. Um, Jeremy, um, if you don't mind, I'd like to move along because uh, the other half of the book, you've alluded to it a little bit, is on ayahuasca, and we're about halfway through the time that we have together. Uh, so, um, you know, this is, this is probably a good segue point because uh, you talk about, you know, the sort of portion of white and black and all that kind of stuff, and that's actually literally the case, uh, physically the case, so to speak, with the different kinds of ayahuasca that in the book you talk about uh, um, the sky or yellow ayahuasca and black ayahuasca. And so I'd like to ask you to just sort of briefly, uh, you know, in layperson's terms, describe the difference and why for us, quote unquote, Westerners, that's actually uh, applicable or important to understand. Well, um, it's it's a, a, a point of contention in uh, science. Um, I mean, I'm talking uh, botany here. Um, scientists have claimed for a long time that um, ayahuasca was one species, Banisteriopsis capi, a vine that grows in the Amazon, and that's all there is to it. So, Amazonian people, Amazonian people uh, have been saying for a long time, no, uh, there are different kinds of ayahuasca, uh, yellow ayahuasca, black ayahuasca, mariri ayahuasca, thunder ayahuasca. Um, there some have, some of these vines have knots, um, others are smooth. Um, they have different kind of bark qualities. They can be more or less harsh. Um, and when you scrape the bark away and you look at the, the inner wood, it can be uh, whitish, yellowish, or darkish. And so um, that's why uh, uh, Amazonian people, the indigenous people, but also Mestizo people uh, recognize these uh, differences just like you would recognize different varieties of uh, cannabis, for example. I mean, you know, people who grow the plant say, well, this is such and such, this is such and such. They have different effects, different tastes. And um, we're not going to get into the taxonomy of cannabis because that's also another, another swamp. But in the case of um, ayahuasca, I mean, to this day in cannabis, people are still fighting. Is there one species, two species, three species? Richard Evans Schultz, the ethnobotanist, weighed in on cannabis. He also weighed in on ayahuasca. Um, he, he wrote already in the 1970s that the indigenous perspective on the different kinds of ayahuasca was an enigma. He called it a, an avenue for future botanical uh, research. Um, the, I think this was like in 1974 that he wrote that. But that research was not conducted, uh, oddly enough. And it was only in 2018 that a team of, uh, of international scientists has uh, launched the, an investigation into uh, these um, different kinds of ayahuasca. I think doing plant genetics would be a place to start. I, I, don't, I don't think the, the, that research has uh, reached its conclusions yet. But um, one can move beyond, uh, let's just say, okay, science has, the knowledge that science has of ayahuasca has limits, and, and, and this is one of them, pretty clear one. 
But um, Amazonian people, uh, you know, they don't need uh, scientists to tell them if there's one, two, or three different species here. They 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 recognize the differences, and they say that uh, you can uh, feel, and if you prepare ayahuasca with yellow ayahuasca, it'll be a different experience than if you do the same thing with uh, black ayahuasca. And uh, a practitioner like my co-author, Rafael Chanchari, uh, is pretty clear that yellow ayahuasca, which is also called sky ayahuasca, is what people from outside the Amazon and who have relatively little experience with this uh, powerful plant, that is the kind of ayahuasca they should be working with if they want to avoid getting into um, uh, dark places. Um, Rafael claims that when you work with uh, the darker kinds of ayahuasca, speaking literally, uh, the black ayahuasca, uh, the Mariri ayahuasca, you you get into, uh, well, um, darker territories when it comes to witchcraft and uh, sorcery and these things. Now, then there's the question, okay, well, what if you don't believe in, in sorcery? What if you don't believe in any of this stuff? Well, you know, that that is, um, that's a complicated one. It would be, um, uh, I myself am, am an agnostic, but when it comes to things like ayahuasca, uh, uh, I tend to trust uh, practitioners, <laughs> you know. Um, and if they're saying, look, there is this thing here that if you use it, it can uh, cause you to start uh, wanting to harm people and so forth. Um, it's uh, certainly uh, true in the Amazon. Um, whether... Um, materialist atheists from, let's say, uh, New York uh, go down to the Amazon, uh, uh, will they um, be uh, uh, impervious to the experience of this darker kind of ayahuasca? Actually, that would not be an ethical piece of research to conduct, you know. Mm. Um, uh, I think that, uh, uh, I mean, my advice would be to, to avoid dabbling with plants that are um, uh, described as being um, dangerous in that sense mm. by indigenous practitioners. Yeah, I think that's a very important one, you know, as this ayahuasca brew spreads around the world. And in a very similar vein, in the book, Raphael also warned against, uh, I, I believe you even used the term warned, but you could correct me there, um, against admixtures in the plant. And I guess partly for the same reasons, but can you say a wee bit more about that? Well, that, this is also something that probably a lot of people don't realize about uh, ayahuasca because you get um, a lot of even scientists uh, writing things like um, uh, that there is standard ayahuasca and that standard ayahuasca is the vine and the chacruna and so it contains the the harmaline alkaloids of the vine and it contains the DMT of the chacruna and this is standard ayahuasca. But actually... <laughs> That's rubbish. Um, ayahuasca is first and foremost a vine. And then it is also the brew that is made with the vine as a basis. Some ayahuascas are pure vine. And the uh, literature, uh, anthropological literature is full of 
descriptions of uh, people who traditionally use vine-only ayahuasca. Then what ayahuasca is, is a cocktail. It is, you can add many different kinds of plants to the ayahuasca vine, and then you will learn about the properties of that plant. And uh, Jonathan Ott, in his book, uh, Ayahuasca Analogues, uh, uh, listed 97 different plants used traditionally by people uh, to add to ayahuasca. So what is in any given ayahuasca depends on who's preparing it, what plants are available, and what kind of brew they want to come up with. Um, there is no standard ayahuasca, just like there is no standard cocktail. Um, a cocktail is necessarily a mix. And there, there can be many different kinds of cocktails. There can be many different kinds of ayahuasca. They can contain um, tobacco, uh, datura, um, coca, uh, toe, meaning to say they can contain uh, not just the harmala alkaloids of the vine, but <clears throat> other psychoactive substances like nicotine, scopolamine, uh, cocaine, and dimethyltryptamine. Um, so <clears throat> depending on who brewed the ayahuasca and what they put in it, um, you can be talking about something that is, is a, a completely different thing because a cocktail will essentially be fruit juice and alcohol. And so the only psychoactive part is the alcohol. But with ayahuasca, you don't know whether it's just the harmala alkaloids, whether there's DMT in there. Maybe there's no DMT, but there's nicotine. Um, so it, it's, it's a psychoactive cocktail. And uh, you really do gain from knowing just what's in there. Um, my co-author, Rafael Chanchari, who is a, an ayahuasquero and a, a practitioner, he, he thinks that he likes to stick to uh, the basic ayahuasca mix of the vine and the chacruna. Uh, so he, he is talking about a sort of a DMT brew. He's not for adding all kinds of other plants in there. Um, no nicotine, no toe, no scopolamine, no coca, none of that. Um, he says, when you're uh, from out of town, keep it simple. Mm -hmm. Keep it to yellow ayahuasca and some chacruna, and there you don't need to mix in all these other plants that can turn it into something something else again. Mm -hmm. I well, speaking of that, I, I was really interested in something you addressed briefly in the book uh, that make that takes it even further in you know in the direction of simplicity, and you quoted uh, Gail Highpine saying that the vine without the inclusion of a DMT containing plant is, and I'm quoting here, the teacher, the healer, the guide. I, I think that's a pretty stunning statement uh, for those of us, like even me, who don't know, I didn't know about that. So can you say why that somebody like that would say that? Well, um, yeah, uh, it's if uh, I, I've actually had the experience of taking uh, vine-only ayahuasca. And um, it's very interesting if you're used to the uh, uh, chacruna-containing kind that has this DMT uh, imagery going on. 
because without that uh, DMT element, um, there are still uh, visions. They're slower. They're more subtle. <clears throat> their colors are less uh, bright. Um, they move less fast. Um, but the state is uh, full of, it's very uh, meditative. Uh, you do get the, uh, the self-awareness, the teaching. Um, and um, yes, uh, uh, not for nothing do indigenous Amazonians call it after the name of the vine, because the vine by itself does the job. Um, it purges, it teaches, uh, uh, it heals. Um, and in that view, what the chakruna does uh, with the DMT that it contains is it turns the lights up. It makes the visions uh, brighter and easier to see. Um, and so they say this can be useful for, for beginners because, uh, because then, then you get it, you see it. Um, but that somehow, actually, the for uh, qu quite a few practitioners, um, these visions, the, these bright visions, are more of a distraction, and the important part of what's going on happens at a at a at a deeper, less spectacular uh, level. Mm. But I'm sure that there would be people who quibble with this. But the the point is that this is uh, a point of view among uh, indigenous Amazonians and. Actually, there was a very interesting piece of uh, research by a biochemist from Estonia, Heli Kasik. She and her colleagues recently sampled more than 100 different kinds of ayahuascas in um, South America, half in neo-shamanic centers that cater for uh, uh, Europeans and North Americans, and the other half uh, used by indigenous Amazonians, uh, not with uh, foreign visitors. And the neo-shamanic samples had, on average, 57% more DMT than the ayahuasca sampled uh, among indigenous Amazonians. So showing that uh, Westerners, they, they want to show, you know, they're like Yosemite Sam. I want to show. And they want, the, they, want their, they want their money's worth. Yeah. They want the lights. They want the spectacle. They want the fireworks. Mm -hmm. And so they get DMT-heavy mm -hmm. ayahuascas, which uh, Hele Kasik says uh, emphasizes tripping over healing. Mm -hmm. um, but um, at some point, I think that when you get interested in the vine beyond the kind of fireworks, um, turning down the lights and, uh, is, uh, is interesting. Mm, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, I, I actually was going to bring her up if you if you hadn't. So thank you for that. And mm -hmm. I think these are really valuable points for people that are you know that as this plant again spreads around the world, it, it needs to be understood in these at, you know these deeper levels. We're sort of at that stage now where ayahuasca has been part of the cultures now for twenty years or so, and it's like let's go further now. So speaking of that. Um, uh, what uh, ayahuasca also has um, uh, more narrowly defined medical benefits as well. You've spoken about. Can you elaborate on that, please? Um, 
You, like you're talking about the vine. The, uh, 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 well, I'm not sure whether it was just the vine or the the vine with the DMT, but uh, just using the term ayahuasca having um, health benefits. Yes. Well, um, the vine uh, precisely um, all by itself contains harmine, harmaline, and tetrahydroharmine. And uh, these harmala alkaloids have recently been discovered to be uh, uh, antioxidant uh, promoters of the uh, immune system, promoters of uh, the growth of new, new neurons. Um, they're anti-tumor, um, uh, anti-inflammatory. Uh, I mean, if you want to uh, enhance your immune system and, and strengthen your body, um, it would seem that there's nothing like a, a, a regular extract from the ayahuasca vine. Oh. Um, and um, this is not just, I don't know, some speculation. This, this actually refers to uh, ongoing research. Uh, I mean, the scientific... Uh, community is waking up now to the therapeutic potential of the substances contained in the ayahuasca vine. And it seems also that the uh, uh, therapeutic effects of these different substances um, uh, are enhanced by uh, these substances um, being uh, ingested together. In other words, it's not just the harmine. So you don't just extract the harmine and take the harmine. Um, it is that the, the ayahuasca vine itself is actually a kind of a cocktail of these three main harmala alkaloids and several other bioactive substances that have not been studied properly yet. So researchers do talk about the entourage effect of uh, how the, these different molecules work together and uh, the sum uh, the, the, the whole is greater than just the, the, the parts individually. The sum of the parts is greater than the parts separately. Um, so there, there we have it. Uh, uh, meanwhile, it would seem that even uh, if you are talking about an ayahuasca that also contains chakruna and therefore DMT, DMT itself appears to have health-enhancing properties. Um, it also seems to enhance the immune system uh, to act as um, uh, an antioxidant that protects tissues and that may also promote the growth of new neurons. And this is also research that is, is being conducted. So people don't usually think of, um, of ayahuasca in, in those terms. But um, yes, it would seem that um, it's... <sighs> Ayahuasca can be uh, good for your health, not only because it purges you, but it, it can have a, uh, a positive impact on the body. It, it has mainly been studied uh, up until now for its uh, uh, impact on the mind as a, as a psychedelic, let's say. Um, but uh, so the, the physiological impact of ayahuasca is, um, uh, well, a new field of research and a, a promising one. Um, you know, I uh, I respect your um, 
what's the word discipline uh, in terms of uh, not wanting to step beyond your you know your breadth of knowledge as an anthropologist but I'd like to ask you this question anyway since you have you know personally worked with these plants yourselves for a long time yourself um, uh, what for, for someone who's not familiar I don't, there are a few of those around still <laughs> with the use of these plants what are they doing like as a spirit as a spiritual plant what how, why do they work what or when they're used properly um my my friend and colleague luis eduardo luna who, who's written several key books about uh, ayahuasca uh, once said that all the big questions concerning ayahuasca remain without answers mm. um so for the moment, uh, it's it's unclear how ayahuasca works. Um, they've started to put uh, DMT containing ayahuasca um, they, to give that kind of ayahuasca to people and to put those people in fMRI machines to try to see what's going on in their minds and. Uh, it would seem that uh, ayahuasca, it, it affects the serotonin 2A receptors. Uh, it has similar effects uh, in on the brain that uh, other uh, psychedelics like LSD and uh, psilocybin have. You know, they knock out the default mode network and they allow different parts of the brain that normally don't communicate with one another to do so. So it kind of enhances uh, flexibility of the communication between different neuronal neur neural networks. But that still doesn't uh, explain um, how you see what you see when you take ayahuasca, what the images are. It, it doesn't explain how the plant also works on the body. Um, it's it's still uh, I think that if if anything is mysterious in this world, I mean that the how ayahuasca works in people has got to be on the list of of uh, uh, mysterious things. I mean it, this is also true of, of most psychedelics, and that's also what's interesting about them is that to to a certain extent they, they can be uh, boiled down to molecules that can be seen as fitting into receptors on certain neurons. So you actually have a piece of the small piece of matter fitting into a kind of a, a lock like a key. And then things happen in our mind. And so it's like the, the point where matter and mind meet that, yes, this is a, it's, it's still a piece of matter, but once it actually fits into then suddenly all oh, these different things happen in the mind. So if we knew uh, how that molecule fitting into that receptor actually caused, or maybe it doesn't cause, but if we knew the relationship between that molecule and then the ensuing experience we have in our minds, we'd have answered the, the uh, matter-mind question. Hmm. It's like one of the, the huge questions. What is the connection between matter and mind? And you know, th this is one of these questions like, it, it seems pretty obvious that you need a brain if you're going to have that kind of experience, but just like you need a piano if you're going to have uh, a piano sonata, but it's not by studying the physics of the piano chords that you're going to understand uh, Mozart. Um, 
So, um, yes, a piano is required, but the piano, the physics of the piano actually somehow go only so far in explaining what's happening um, or what's interesting about what's happening. So that question of, you know, how does ayahuasca work inside us um, is right there on that very interesting frontier. But it may be a subject where we may never know because notice that we're trying to understand how our minds work and we're using our minds to do that. Um, you know, it's uh, can can you understand the thing? I'll you with with the thing itself. Can the thing itself explain itself? Maybe not. Mm. Um, but and that's also why these psychedelics are so interesting, is because they actually allow us to explore these questions. Um, so. Um, so I guess I didn't answer your question, right? I like that answer. <laughs> and I think it's actually a, a good place to bring things to a close. Uh, uh, we've covered everything I wanted to ask you about for today. There's certainly more in the book. And again, the book that we've been mostly focusing on is this one, uh, Plant Teachers, um, colon, Ayahuasca, Tobacco, and the Pursuit of Knowledge. Uh, it's accessible. It's small. You can see, you know, you don't have to spend next year reading, you know, taking the whole year to read it. Um, it's very accessible. It's very clear. And it's very informative. And from my point of view, at least, moves the conversation forward as we deepen our understanding of plants and plant medicines and, you know, uh, consciousness transformation altogether. Um, and I really appreciate the way that you've... Uh, uh, you're an educator, Jeremy, and uh, in my mind, you're a good one because you make it really clear for people to understand. So um, before I sign off and say thank you, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, again, there's this book. You've got a few other books, including the, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, I, cons I think it's cons you'd consider it iconic now. I watched an interview on psychology. Psych Psychology Today? No, pardon me. Psychedelics Today uh, with a fellow uh, who talks about Salvia Divinorum. And uh, they re the, the interviewer referenced uh, The Cosmic Serpent. Um, so there are those two books. And you have another one called Intelligence in Nature. And, you know, there's other work. And is there anything else that you would suggest to anyone who would like to learn more about these subjects to, to check into? Well, um the uh, the small book plant teachers has an extensive bibliography um, that we deliberately included so that uh, actually uh, there's all kinds of uh, good books interesting articles that have been written about many of the subjects that we discussed today and they're all referenced uh, at the back of of the book so yeah I, I'd invite people to sort of take a look at it and explore things according to their according to their fancy wonderful well thanks again jeremy really appreciate your taking the time to do this uh, you and i know more about the what time was involved in that than anyone else is going to know and that's fine but uh, uh thank you again and good day well to i'd you. like to thank you stephen for your excellent questions and uh, your your patience <laughs> and likewise Likewise, hope Jeremy. To, hope to speak with you uh, again soon. Uh, indeed, me too. Yeah. All right. Take care. Okay, you too. Ciao.